goes from bad management to blind management. Blind management is when you're just blind to it. You can't see it any other way than your own way. If you're asking me, blind management is worse than bad management. Because I've had shitty managers before. I have had varying degrees of bad management. The difference between bad management and blind management is even shitbag managers occasionally can see it their way. Occasionally, they can own their own faults. Occasionally, they'll just admit it. They'll admit to a mistake. Blind management has two directions. My way or the wrong way. I can't see it any other way. Blind management is the worst form of management. If you have all the qualities of a great manager and you make great decisions, but you're a blind manager, you're never going to be a great manager. Because if you don't listen to your people, if you don't take advice, criticism, information, if you don't take in and process what people have to say to you, you can have all the greatest skills in the world, but you're going to lose your team, you're going to lose your direction, because you're not always going to be right. I don't care how good of a manager you are, you're never going to make the best decision every single time. You can't make the best decision without the information and contribution from your team. You can't be a great manager with a touch of blind management. You can, however, be a bad manager with a full-on diagnosis of fucking blind management. And when those two get together, I would rather get on because I know I can't get along. Let me tell you something. Everybody struggles. The difference is some people choose to go through it and some choose to grow through it. The choice is completely yours. Which one you choose will have a very profound effect on the way you live your life. The question is, do you have what it takes to bet on yourself? Anything worth doing is worth dominating. You need to be fired up about your story. Get jacked up about that rise and the fall and tell yourself it's the climb that's mine. Find satisfaction in small victories. What it is, what it is, you know what time it is. It is time to win Wednesday, bitch. That's right. Loud, proud American Share the Struggle Podcast. Episode 14. That's double seven, motherfucker. Put it all on black. Double seven. Rolling sevens. This episode gots to be lucky. Episode 14. It is a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful week. Actually, it is raining just a touch right now. It's a beautiful rain, you know? I think we need it. And it's not aggressive. It's just kind of setting the tone, like setting the mood, a real mood setter. It's such a good mood setter that I even lit a candle. Got a fucking Christmas candle going here. Setting the mood, baby. I got a nice nacho plate. Mm hmm. Nachos on a paper plate with a Christmas candle and a light rain. Hmm. <laughs> That's right, baby. You know how I do, boo. I'll do anything for you. <laughs> That's right. I see no reason not to romance you people. You beautiful, loud, proud Americans. We have set the mood so perfectly and the settings 
are so ideal that right now both of my dogs are sound asleep. So we shouldn't have to deal with any fucking craziness like we had to deal with last week. The only thing we might need to worry about is excessive snoring and the occasional passing of gas. Which, I know, you're going to want to blame me, but I'm telling you, it's them, people. They're savages. Complete savages. Let me ask you guys something. Have you ever made a dinner that you were so excited about, you saved it for tomorrow, knowing it doesn't reheat well? You ever done that? All instincts point towards the trash can on this, but I'm enjoying this. I need to save it. Because I will enjoy this tomorrow. Have you been there? Have you done that? Well, I did that exact thing last night. Hence, the nacho plate. Now, when it comes to instincts about throwing something out and having that thought process in your mind about the life scale of reheated dinners, nachos is pretty much at the top of the scale of throw it out. You know what I mean? If you have the survival meter on leftovers, you're pinning it on nachos because there's not much you can do about it. There really, there really isn't. But I made a pretty legit buffalo nacho extravaganza yesterday. I definitely made too much of it, and I couldn't bring myself to throw it out. I know, right now, you guys are asking what was so special about it. Well, I'll be honest, nothing completely crazy. It just all felt right. Okay. I chucked a couple chicken breasts in a crock pot yesterday afternoon. I added some Nashville hot chicken seasoning, a half a bottle of Sweet Baby Ray's hot sauce. If you guys haven't tried it yet, it's worth it. Give it a give it a ring ding. You might be some of the hot sauce consumers out there that go with Frank's Red Hot and Texas Pete. The Sweet Baby Ray's, you'll appreciate it. So I used some of that and... uh like a half a packet of the ranch seasoning you would use to make like a ranch dip and some butter. And I let that bitch cook all day. So then at night, I could pull it apart with a fork, kind of like a pulled pork, you know, but it's a pulled chicken. Everybody's sitting around pulling their chicken. That's what I did. Nice layer of nachos, add the chicken. I enjoy fresh sliced jalapeno and I made a cheese sauce, okay? The cheese sauce consisted of a base of whipping cream not to be confused with cool whip. It was a heavy whipping cream. So a base of heavy whipping cream, shredded American cheese, throw a handful in on a nice even heat and start mixing that shit till it evens out and then add some mao, then add some mao, then add some mao. Keep it consistent, keep it rolling. You might need to supplement a little bit more whipping cream. And then I mix in some pepper jack cheese. So you got American and a pepper jack and they're just co-mingling beautifully. Then we go back to the ranch packet that we had been discussing previously, the old ranch dip seasoning packet. Chuck that in there. And just keep it on mixing till she's beautiful and pours like the cheesy salmon of Capistrano. I'm going to take my layer of chips, throw down some buffalo chicken, some fresh jalapeno, then fucking ooze the cheese on, then another layer and repeat steps one through three. Throw that some bitch in the oven. How do you do? You got yourself a pretty sweet plate of nachos right there, boy. Yeah! Now... I must say, I am also a man that has been known to pair cheap beers with meals. 
For this delightful plate of nachos, my beer of choice just happens to be Dos Equis. Mm-hmm. Lager Especial Dos Equis. So last night, I found myself with just an abundance of said nachos that I couldn't bring myself to throw out. So I just reintroduced that beautiful plate of nachos to a little friend of mine I call the oven. It didn't do too bad, folks. It was worth eating a second time around. It wasn't as delightful as day one, but I am full and I am enjoying another Dos Equis. My Christmas candle is lit, the rain be falling, and I'm ready to hit record on this week's episode. Share the struggle. The only downfall is with the candle, the rain, a full belly of nachos and a Dos Equis, I got a lazy left eye just creeping up on me and closing, wanting me to slide on over and close the right and say goodnight. Mm-hmm. Prime for a nap. I came into this full of juice. These nachos be sucking up all my juice. Want me to slate? You will never win, Nacho. You never win. I am the greater man. All right. Now that the rambling lunch nonsense has taken place, we can probably get on with things. I'm starting to see a weird trend here, people. Last week, we talked about a bad lunch decision that I fully enjoyed, and hopefully some of you out there have partaken in and enjoyed as well. If you have, feel free to let me know. Also, feel free to send reviews to the redheaded bitch known as Wendy. Mention my name and the podcast. Maybe, just maybe, we could pick up a sponsorship, and if we do, I promise you, I will share my chicken nuggets with you. Hope you like spicy, because I'm going to pick spicy, spicy nuggets. Two weeks in a row, we found ourselves talking about bad lunch decisions. Yeah, I'm fat. Seeing how I'm completely off topic on yet another episode of the podcast, I might as well keep the trend going. For the past couple weeks, I have really enjoyed sharing some details of my weekend with you guys for a couple reasons. Number one, <laughs> I'm lonely. <laughs> I'm so lonely. I don't get out, but I don't see people. Other than that, more importantly, I think there's cool shit that comes out of everybody's weekend. We're just not programmed to realize it or to slow down and appreciate the learning lessons that you get from it. So I feel like if we could talk about some of the dumb shit that I do during the weekend and find some nuggets of knowledge in there, then it's worth it. And hopefully we could both take something from it. And I'm hoping to force the habit in all of y'all to analyze your weekend and look at how you acted and responded to certain things that came up and take those nuggets of knowledge. Okay? I'm going to start with this. A couple weeks ago, I got a request from a super close friend of mine about a surprise wedding gift craft project. Because I like to get my hands into some crafty shit. You'd be surprised by my craftiness. And I enjoy working with the wood. Don't get carried away, fellas. Not that kind of wood. Not talking about petrified wood. No, not what I'm talking about. Anyways, back on track, I received a message from a good friend, Miss Crystal Foran. Fun fact, Crystal is actually the wifey of Jeff Foran, lead singer of the Gut Truckers, which, no time like the present, 
Gotcha! realize I had that kind of lung capacity. Must be the Dos Equis. So Crystal reached out to me, asked me to work on a project for her sister who was getting married. A fun story, because everybody appreciates a story. Her sister was in a relationship, high school relationship, I believe. You know, high school sweetheart scenario. I think I might have made that up. I apologize if I did. Anywho, they grow up, grow apart, go their separate ways, find themselves back together years later. And now, they're getting married. So, pretty cool little story. Crystal wanted me to carve their names in a tree. You guys know what I'm talking about? Before, kids were afraid to go outside, and they would uh, actually, like, play in the woods with sharp objects and carve shit into trees, like a little heart. You plus me. Mm-hmm. Wee-wee. Mm-hmm. You touch my wee-wee. You plus me touch my wee-wee. I lost y'all right there. I know it. I know I did. When we were allowed to play in the woods with sharp objects and would carve things into the trees. Over the years, I have formed a great relationship with a local sawmill. So I headed over there to get a slab of wood. More specifically, I wanted to shave off a side of a tree so it preserves all the bark. So a big slab of tree, and then I cut it down to size, something a little more manageable. And then I hand carved a heart into the tree and then carved in their initials, I put it in EST, Established Original Date of Dating Conception. That was really confusing for simply me to explain. I put the date that they started dating, and I put EST, and we know from the story I just told, they separated and then reconnected and then blossomed into a beautiful marriage. That date, I put a re E-S-T, okay? Re-established. And I carved all that in there, and I wanted to do it old school, the way it would have been done when they were kids that played in the woods with sharp objects. So I did the whole thing with a hammer and a chisel and some carving tools that you would give to a child or possibly an Asian. And I mean no offense or profile in any way when I say Asian. I'm just talking about the fact that they generally have smaller hands. And I have been blessed and cursed with a catcher's mitt. Banana hands over here, okay? Sausage links. So if you're Asian... Don't take any offense. I am extremely confident that my hands are larger than yours. Hence, the reason why I made that comparison. So, lay off of me, Judy. Well, two days, a case of carpal tunnel, a blowtorch, two types of stain, hammer, chisel, kids carving tools. I came up with a final product that I was proud of, and more importantly, Crystal was proud of, And that was the goal. And I have received some awesome reviews from family in attendance at the wedding. I was told it was a big hit. So it was all worth it, man. And that's what it's about. Gifts like that, honestly, is one of the reasons why I just love Christmas. Like the holiday season, holiday gift giving season. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Because you get together and you have an opportunity to do something to make a positive impact on your friends and on your family. And hopefully you give them something, you make them something that they get to keep, cherish, and enjoy. 
And when they see it, it reminds them of you or that moment. So that's generally why I love that time of the year. And it's one of the reasons why I get super excited about making things for people. So that was a really fun project for me. It was a change of pace. It got me working with wood and it got me away from working with fabric and software, which is generally what I do on most days of my life these days. Like sands through the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. So Thursday evening, I go over to Jeff and Crystal's house to drop a gift off. I'm riding that super awesome high of making something for somebody and them genuinely appreciating it, enjoying it, and being in love with it. And that's really what the fuck you're going for. So for me, it's not about the cash. It's about the fruits of the labor, the enjoyment that they're getting and you're getting and receiving by seeing them have that enjoyment. Does that make sense? Or is that completely confusing in a shitty fucking way of explaining that? I was excited that they were excited. The wife and I hang out for a little bit. When we return home, as we're walking into our garage, my wife notices water pissing out of the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Water is pouring out around one of the light bulbs in my ceiling, and my sheetrock has a giant bubble in it where the tape line on the sheetrock is filling up with water. Yeah, pretty sweet. Now, we have been in our house for about four years. Brand new construction. I'm not talking about moving into an established house. We're talking about built up from the ground up. Brand new. A few years ago, I paid off the remainder on my parents' mortgage and took over the family land, built a house for the wife and I. Now, what we decided on, based on what we were looking for and what our town would let us do, we built a garage with an in-law upstairs. Two-car garage, in-law upstairs, loft ceilings, beams, shiplap. Just giving you that barn feel, that rustic feel, that's what I like. I know we were going to have confined space based on the laws in our town, so I put in a cathedral ceiling, I guess you would call it. So a super high ceiling, so you don't feel claustrophobic and capped all the walls off, so that it just feels airy and more rustic and barn-like. So my parents are next door in their house. We have the garage in-law here. You put it all together and we're all here together, you know, and I think that's what it's about. Growing up, my parents always mentioned to me, hey, someday this is going to be yours. And as I got older and started thinking about things, I wanted to do something to lessen the blow, I guess, or, you know, give back or do something for them. I didn't feel right just inheriting a house, I guess. It was weird to me. I also didn't want to go out and establish roots somewhere else, buy a house, the wife and I, and then someday, some way, you're figuring out that balance. I didn't really want to do that. And I also wanted to be close to home for my folks to be there to help them. I just think that's the way life should be. I've seen my mom do it for my grandparents. So it's something that I want to do for them. Maybe lessen the burden a little bit and make life a little easier on them. So that's what we did. Our place was built about four years ago. Actually, the GC on our build was my first football coach when I was a kid. You guys remember the stories? Me signing up as a young yut, as a little lad, hating it, wanting to quit, and my grandfather showing up every damn night making sure that I didn't quit, and then eventually falling in love with it. So full circle, there you go. That's how it goes. That's where we came from. 
Now, rewind it to Friday night. I'm walking in. I got water pissing out of the sheetrock, coming out around the light bulb. I got to climb up on the ladder and drill a hole in my sheetrock to vent all the fucking water out. At this moment, the first thing we're thinking is kitchen sink. I know we had an issue with the kitchen sink. The plumber that originally did the work on my house, all honesty, was a fucking Yahtzee. We've had a few plumbing issues, a small leak in our bathroom sink. At one point, I mentioned it to the builders, and they brought it up to the plumber's attention, and he was supposed to come over and take care of it, and and he just hadn't, okay? And like anything else in life, you just fucking forget about shit, and you let it go until you let it go too far, and you have water pissing out your sheetrock. Mm-hmm. Been there. Thankfully, there was a couple of uh, shutoff valves underneath my sink to turn the water off. So we turned the water off, drill a hole in the sheetrock, drain the water out, and just let it drip out and kind of dry up as best you can overnight. Now, in the morning, I reach out to my main point of contact at the office, a sweet lady that I got along great with during the process, and she's remembered me, and we continue to have good conversations. So I reach out to her and mention to her, hey, I kind of have an issue here. Now, you guys have heard me describe the issue. And we're talking about a house that's like four years old. So it's kind of a big fucking issue. But what I can tell you is I've learned over the years you get more bees with honey than you do vinegar. Besides, it's the fall. I ain't looking for no summer's eve. (laughs) Deuce joke. Was that pushing it? Did I push it with a deuce joke? Well, the point is you don't want to be a douche. Okay? I have never understood how people expect anybody to help them by freaking the fuck out. They might go into, like, fucking prevention cool-down mode, but they generally don't want to help you out because you're freaking out. If you lose your shit, maybe someone will give you some attention and help you out, but I'm willing to bet if you ask them, genuinely, if they gave a fuck about you or wanted to help you, their answer would be, no, fuck no. I don't want to help that guy. He's being a fucking raging dick. Point is, they're helping you to get on with your day to get the fuck away from you. Now, I do not feel that is the best way to handle things. I will also say, at times in my life, that's probably the way I handled some shit. As I've gotten older and a bit wiser, I've realized there should be a progression that builds up to that point. I don't go hot out the gate, okay? You need to fucking cool down, relax, calm the emotions, be cool about it. If you're not getting the results you want and you want to escalate it up the douche meter, then that's fine. If you want to start at the base of the douche and work your way to the nozzle, I guess that's okay. I know that we all find ourselves in situations where you might let something escalate or you just don't have proper time to fucking cool down, to go into cool down mode. Sometimes shit just happens heat of the moment. Generally, I find that to be the shit that we find ourselves having to apologize for at a later date. So trying to avoid that at all costs is something I would recommend. If you have a situation where either you're not allowed to react heat of the moment, or you develop the ability to pull out of the eye of the storm and think it out, I want to give you my secrets, my little philosophy that I have adapted to deal with said situation. It is a three-pronged technique, a little something I call PPR, okay? Because 
first off, it's funny just to say pee-pee. <laughs> Are all boys literally still stuck at like age seven, like I am? Or is it just me? Am I just you, just the unique one? No? You might be shaking your head and blaming me and pointing me, but you know, you lying son of a bitch. You make pee-pee jokes and poop-poop jokes and vagina jokes. Besides, you just laughed at a douche joke, okay? Lay off of me, Joe Brown. PPR. The first P in pee-pee is put it in perspective. I guess that's a couple P's, but the first P is perspective. And on perspective, I want you to first off put it in perspective. Let's look at my situation as an example because we're talking about shit that happens over the weekend and then finding nuggets of knowledge later in the week that you can build on, that you can learn from, okay? So I walk into my house, pissing water out my sheetrock, I gotta take a fucking drill and punch a hole in the ceiling and turn my water off. So, I either storm, I could be pretty fucking fired up. And I guess I was. More than fired up, I guess I'm disappointed. That would be the better uh, way to describe my emotion at this time. I'm just, I'm disappointed, okay? But disappointment can lead to fired up aggression very quickly. Just like that. But, you try to take yourself out of the situation and put it in perspective. When I sit down on the couch and I think it out and just try to relax, I put it in perspective and say, I could be dealing with way worse right now. If you think about it and you genuinely put thought into that moment and realize you could be dealing with a hell of a lot worse. This might sound fucked up to you guys, but for me, my mind goes back to the time in life when I lost my brother to cancer and a couple weeks later, I lost my grandfather on Christmas Eve. I think about all that shit that I dealt with during that time. And then I think about the situation at hand. Water coming out of my sheetrock, it just don't compare. It doesn't. My whole ceiling could fall out of my fucking house. And it wouldn't compare to what I dealt with, to what I had to deal with, and to how I felt during that time. Put it in perspective, man. It's not the biggest thing happening in the fucking world. And I also try to dig into that perspective a little bit and say, what if I picked the phone up and I called my point of contact at the office for my GC, general contractor, friend of you guys out there, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. If I call them, either my GC or my point of contact, and I freak the fuck out about my ceiling, I don't know what they're going through, what they're dealing with. What if they're dealing with great loss? What if they just lost somebody in their life that's super close, super important to them, or they're just dealing with fucking bullshit? A significant other lost their job. They got diagnosed with fucking something at the doctor's office. I don't know. Maybe they fucking have COVID. I don't know the situation. Just like last week, you don't know what you don't know. If I don't know what you're dealing with, what you're going through, and I call you and just blast my bullshit on your dinner plate, how are you feeling right now? I mean, maybe I get lucky and I reach you at a time of being receptive and you're going, fuck, man. That really sucks that you have a brand new house with a fucking leak. Let me stop everything I'm doing to help you. Maybe, maybe you're there, but you don't know what you don't know. And if I called you and you're having a shitbag day and the last phone call that you took was from some jackass freaking the fuck out or a doctor giving you a diagnosis or a fucking detective telling you we have an emergency, then you hear from me complaining about my fucking sheetrock? Put it into perspective, people. 
It pales in comparison. I know for you, in that moment, it seems and feels like the biggest of all events. I get it. Put it in perspective. The next P in PP is patience. You have to be patient, people. Put it in perspective. Be patient. Now, let's look at my scenario, because we're learning from our weekend, people. How many times do I have to say that to you? Be patient. I sat down on the couch, started putting it in perspective. If I overreacted and didn't use patience, I didn't apply the second P in PP, I could have reached out to my contact at the office on social media. Could have lost my shit on social media, which... I think is the leading root cause of most of the fucking world's issues right now. Doesn't it seem like that? Keyboard fucking warriors just going off, causing fucking drama and trauma for your mama. So be patient. Don't overreact. I didn't go to social media and reach out. I didn't text my old football coach, my old GC on a fucking Thursday night at fucking nine o'clock or whatever the fucking time it was. Be patient. You got to wait till the morning. If you call and freak the fuck out, it's not like they're just going to roll off the couch or get out of bed and show up and take care of your bullshit. No, it's not how it fucking goes, man. Be patient. The next thing I did was I didn't call first thing in the fucking morning. I didn't want the first call that they get in the morning to be me dealing with my shit. So I started off in my normal routine, take care of all the animals, get my coffee, Just kind of channel my chi a little bit. Make sure before I make the phone call that I'm putting things in perspective. Reminding myself to be patient. And the third ingredient, the R in PPR, is realistic. You need to remain realistic. Don't shoot for the fucking moon and don't hope for cards in a balloon. You need to be realistic about what someone can do for you and the time frame in which they can do it for you. If all these things are being applied and your positive energy is being denied and you want to go fucking full bag and squeeze on that douche, then go for it, okay? But I'm asking you to first try my way. Implement PPR. Perspective, patient, realistic. I have a conversation with my contact at the office. She's super warm and polite about it. Also concerned. And I don't need to go into details about anything. I basically just state my case. Hey, I came home last night. I got water coming out of my sheetrock. I know we had a conversation before about my sink. I turned the I turned the uh, water supply off. That seemed to have solved the situation. So I think that's where our problem is. And just kind of leave it at that. I'm not raising my voice. I'm not losing my fucking patience. And I'm not making any fucking demands. I'm not being unrealistic. I'm not saying I fucking need somebody here today. No, I let them make that decision. Let them react for themselves, okay? That's what it's about. Let them do their fucking job. Let them just be compassionate people. You decided to do business with them for a reason. Let that reason show through. She instantly escalates my concern and tells me that she'll get on it and they'll get back to me, that I'll hear from somebody and I'll leave it alone. I remain patient. I don't freak out when the phone call isn't in 30 minutes. I don't freak out when the phone call isn't in a couple hours. Because, put it in perspective, they could be dealing with a lot of other shit and my stuff is just getting thrown on their plate. They didn't plan for this just like I didn't plan for it. Nobody designed a house assuming or expecting it to leak. That's just not how the fuck this goes. You need to remember you are not the only one with shit going on. There's other stuff. There's other people. There's other concerns. There's other deadlines. 
you are not the only one with shit going on. Don't be so self-centered. Put it in perspective. Be patient. Be realistic. So whatever fucking time and the day it was when I got a phone call back and we had a conversation, I don't care how much time has lapsed in between because what I care about is you're doing something about it. We're having a conversation. I explain the scenario. We start to form a plan. He informs me that he's trying to get somebody over here. Think about it, people. It's a Friday. It's the middle of the afternoon on a Friday. There's fucking deadlines. There's lines drawn in the sand. There's shit getting done. And I'm not the only one with shit going on. So I say to him, hey, man, I know you're doing the best you can to get somebody over here for me today. And I appreciate that. It's not life or death. I turn the water supply off to my sink and... It's not leaking out my fucking sheetrock anymore. So if I need to get through the weekend or a couple days next week before you can get somebody over here, it's okay. Be realistic. People respond and appreciate you and your requests if you're patient and you're realistic. And if you can have an eye on the bigger picture and put things in perspective, it goes a hell of a lot further than freaking the fuck out. Moral of the story, ending to the scenario this week. They sent a couple plumbers over, literally cut all the fucking pipes out from underneath my sink, replaced them with brand new ones, replaced drains, did a bunch of work. Got me straight. Got things in order, fixed and up and running like new. No issues. Also, no charge. Put it in perspective, be patient, be realistic. The other side of this coin is up to you and how you want to handle it. I personally internalize a level of realistic and when they came over and took care of my sink and took care of the bill I didn't then turn around and say hey I need you to come over here and fucking pull the sheetrock out of my house too and that needs to be free of charge no I didn't do that just small enough hole I could patch it my fucking self that's give and take people they took care of me took care of my sink they very well could have said hey I'm going to pay for labor, you pay for parts, or vice versa. They could have done that. They didn't do that. They didn't have and haw. They also know I was patient. I didn't freak out. I gave them time to handle it. I didn't call and lose my shit. And I didn't then freak out and say, hey, I need you to come over here and fucking take care of all this sheetrock. Put in perspective, be patient, be realistic. You are not the only one with shit going on. And I guarantee there's always somebody with a bigger pile of shit to eat. You don't know what you don't know, people. Don't forget that. Nachos and the nachos won. Dear God. In hindsight, reheating nachos was a bad choice. Yeah. I lived to talk about it, but it wasn't a good idea. It wasn't a sound decision, and I'm gonna officially go on record now saying that I don't recommend it. Okay? <laughs> I'm coming to you live from a Thursday morning. That's right. We did not get to finish the recording that we set out to finish. Remember that beautiful setting, that ambiance, light rain, Christmas candle, plate of nachos, dos I think I referenced my left eye closing 
and starting to want to affect the right. Before I move any further, I was not making a reference to Lisa Left Eye Lopez. I do not want to see any property get burned down, Andre Razin. What I'm telling you is, nacho paralysis kicked in. My eyelids started getting fat and heavy. My stomach felt like I was trying to digest a cement mixer. What I'm trying to say is, I wasn't feeling good, people. I wasn't feeling good at all, and I didn't have my energy level on high like I need to have when we're doing a show. I had to pull the plug and get outside and, you know, try to rechannel my chi. Long to short of it, the reheating of the nachos provoked an unplanned fasting for the big man. That's right. No snacks, no dinner, nothing. I was able to have some oatmeal for breakfast. And I got me a nice Dunkin' iced coffee going right now. And I think we're back on track. I got that behind us. And I'm glad I learned the lesson. And I can share it with y'all to prevent you from having to endure the lesson. Unless you just want to self-provoke a fast. Then go for it. Reheat nachos. But that experience didn't go as planned. Gotcha! Okay, nice. See that, people? Energy level's on high. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I believe before I blacked out, we were talking about some of the experiences over the weekend, and I just have one more little PSA that I want to throw out on this week's episode. And that PSA is, there is no excuse for bad management. No excuse for bad management. Let me elaborate. I'm not going to give details on who and what and where, because I'm not trying to put attention onto a specific person. I'm trying to draw attention to specific actions. So I'm going to use this deadbeat shitbag of a manager as an example. Okay? Makes sense? Okay, moving on. I am in the car. Not just any car. My fucking epic, lovely beauty Dodge Challenger. It is Friday And I have somebody with me that normally works on Friday, but is enjoying a vacation day. Vacation day that was discussed with soon-to-be-discussed shitbag bad management. That person is with me. We go on the infamous Duncan run. On the way back, they get a phone call from this manager, their manager, freaking the fuck out that they are not at work. And then proceeding to blame them for countless levels of bullshit and nonsense that has nothing to do with them or the fact they are not at work today. Now, let's just rewind this fucking 15 seconds. They had a conversation about this vacation day. That manager initially said, why are you taking this day off? We need you, blah, 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 blah. This person reminds them, hey, it's a light day. We don't have much going on. Not a lot of things on the schedule. I have a week's vacation. I've been here for a year. I've only taken one day off. I'm trying to play it fair and pick a slow day. That shitbag manager says, you're right, take a day off. Enjoy yourself. Perfect. Bada bang, bada boom. I don't. You know what I mean? So, fast forward back to being in the car. I'm driving. This person's sitting shotgun and I can hear shitbag bad management 
losing their fucking mind about why are you not at work? Okay, people, we talked about putting things in perspective, being patient, and being realistic. So first off, this manager has fucking none of those things working at that time. PPR, not even fucking remotely present, okay? Coming out, full-on douche nozzle. We're talking Summer's Eve, vinegar and water right between your eyes. I'm driving along, and I can hear bits and pieces of this conversation. Me being somebody that prides himself on leadership and communication, I'm boiling. Boiling right now. And let me just say this. I've made mistakes in life, and I haven't succeeded at communication at all times in my life. I have learned to get better at it, and I'm sure I will have times when I don't play it right, and I fail at that. I can also tell you, as a young manager, I probably had many a times and examples when I fucked that up, but I learned and I grew and became better. I also learned to realize when you made the mistake or when you fucked up, when you came out of the gate hot and you were at fault, at some point, you need to own up to it. And you need to swallow it and apologize and move the fuck on. So as I'm driving, I'm waiting for this manager to realize, shit, I'm a real fucking douche nozzle right now. I approved a vacation day for this person. Here I am calling them, freaking out about them not being at work. And then I'm regurgitating misplaced anger at them. I need to calm down and say, I really apologize I totally forgot that I approved your vacation day, and I'm sorry. I apologize. Hope I didn't ruin your fucking weekend. This is completely on me. I'm sorry. I owe you one. Own up, okay? No. Not the direction they took. We're at the fork in the road. You got the right way and the douche way, and we're going to double down on douche. So instead of owning up and admitting to anything... Let me just throw a bunch of other shit on the plate that has nothing to do with why I'm making this phone call and with why you should or shouldn't be at work. No, none of that. It literally starts going off into other inter-fucking office relationships, other people's fucking scenarios, other people not wanting to work, other people changing their schedule, not showing up for work, and that all getting thrown on you and you being blamed saying that you're the driving force behind this. Uh, I requested a day off. You approved it. How the fuck does that have anything to do with anybody else in the building, what they want to do, and whether they want to be at work or don't want to be at work? Mm-hmm. Nothing there makes any fucking sense. I can excuse new management to an extent. I can find an excuse for new management. If that person made that phone call, fucked up, wasn't organized, didn't put on their day planner that they approved a fucking vacation day and then owned up to it and they were a new manager, I get it. Um, Not the best way of handling, but we can move on from it. I made mistakes as a new manager and it's okay as long as you learn from it and you move on from it. And the first step in learning and moving on is owning up to the mistake that you made. But this is not a new manager. Not by any means. This person might have fucking two, three times the management that I actually have. So there's no excuse for it. I have a term for this situation and for this character, for this manager. It goes from bad management to blind management. Blind management is when you're just blind to it. You can't see it any other way than your own way. If you're asking me, 
Blind management is worse than bad management because I've had shitty managers before. I have had varying degrees of bad management. The difference between bad management and blind management is even shitbag managers occasionally can see it their way. Occasionally, they can own their own faults. Occasionally, they'll just admit it. They'll admit to a mistake. Blind management has two directions. My way or the wrong way. I can't see it any other way. Blind management is the worst form of management. If you have all the qualities of a great manager and you make great decisions, but you're a blind manager, you're never going to be a great manager. Because if you don't listen to your people, if you don't take advice, criticism, information, if you don't take in and process what people have to say to you, you can have all the greatest skills in the world, but you're going to lose your team. You're going to lose your direction because you're not always going to be right. I don't care how good of a manager you are. You're never going to make the best decision every single time. You can't make the best decision without the information and contribution from your team. You can't be a great manager with a touch of blind management. You can, however, be a bad manager with a full-on diagnosis of fucking blind management. And when those two get together, I would rather get on because I know I can't get along. I know where that road ends and it's a dead end road. I do not want to be on a team of blind fucking management because blind management don't know no faults. Blind management ain't got the time for your time. It literally leads to an unfulfilled dead end job. If there's a hope and dream of that manager not being there or you not having to deal with that manager, if it's a transfer, a relocation, a new manager, whatever, don't give up on hope if that's something that you really like to do. But I'm telling you, bad management, blind management will ruin you. You will take your frustrations home and it'll begin to ruin your relationships and all the things that are around you. Blind management can't see it any other way. Blind management only looks at it their way. And they're never wrong. They will not admit faults in any form or direction, no matter what the situation might be. If it is forgetting the fact that they approved your vacation day, they can't own up to that. They can't admit that. And if they even do to the slightest of degree, they have to finish it with a, yeah, but you're doing this, you're not doing that. This is all the reasons why I'm mad at you right now. It's got nothing to do with that vacation day. Uh, it does, Cleopatra, because you called me on my vacation day. Blind management is the same bad management that blurs the lines between co-worker and dictator, blind management is the person that will talk shit about their employees to their employees. Blind management is the shitty fucking level of management that'll stir the pot just to make themselves feel good, that will create controversy just to take any attention off of where it should be. You know what I'm saying? Blind management is the worst form of management. If you are a bad manager, you better learn to earn. Earn some respect and earn some fucking eyesight, motherfucker. Gotcha!
last week's episode, in my opinion, was a powerful episode. We had a fun start and a serious ending, and I really felt like we put a lot on the table, and I had some of my most productive post-episode conversations with people after last week's episode. So for those of you that reached out, thank you so much. It was a super important episode, something that A, I needed to get off my chest, and B, I think it's a conversation that we just need to be more comfortable in having and more aware to actually having and participating in, encouraging, provoking, starting, however the fuck you want to look at it, getting the ball rolling. I think it was important. I thank each and every one of you for supporting last week's episode. And I am really proud of all of you that implemented some of last week's episode. And if you haven't, I encourage you to do so because the impact is great. You don't know what you don't know, but I would rather try than live with wondering why. If you guys don't mind, I would like to quickly recognize someone that sent me some feedback last week. I need to personally recognize my friend Manda, not Amanda, my friend Manda from Bentley Saloon. She left a comment on a soundbite from last week's episode saying that the episode put so many of her thoughts and feelings in the past couple months into words And she thought it was awesome, and she felt like she needed that, and thanked me for that. That is so fucking epic. First off, just that acknowledgement. I love it. I eat it up, and that's the reason why I do the show. That's the reason why I dedicate time to the show. Because if I can say something that has an impact, or describes a feeling that you're having, an emotion that you're feeling, then that's why we do it. Amanda took it to the next level when she implemented the challenge. She sent a text message to an aunt that she had not spoken with for a couple of years, and she immediately called. You hearing me, people? She threw the rock into the ocean, and it started the wave. A text turned into a call, and that call led to a very productive conversation that dived into some difficulties and some challenges that she was experiencing this year. Manda, putting that plan into action. Sending the text, provoking the call. That makes you this week's winning Wednesday weekly shout out. Damn, I cannot tell you how fucking pumped it makes me to know that Manda put a plan into action and she found results. She made a difference. You don't know what you don't know. Now, Manda, you do know because you asked to know. Manda, that is you being the light. I am encouraging all of you to be the light. The feeling that you get from doing so is more than all right. Oh yeah. I think it has officially been a couple of weeks since I left you with a cliffhanger since we were hanging on the side of a cliff. I can't even imagine the strength you guys must possess in your fingers and your phalanges. You currently have the hand strength of a gorilla from holding on to the side of that cliff. Well, let's pick up where we left off. Let's uh, get back to the center of the onion 
and remember where we were at. I had been fired from my third job. I'd already quit two jobs. I'm back to being home, living with mom and dad, single as a can of Pringles, and I am forced to sell everything that I own just to prevent myself from losing the one prize possession, the one dream that I achieved. As crazy as it might sound to some of you, it was that brand new pickup truck. I didn't want to lose it. That's the only thing that I was holding on to. Now, if we go back to some previous episodes, I believe it was episode 10, we discussed what I call the life cycle of loss. I will refresh everybody's memory if you forgot the life cycle of loss. There's a few steps. Animal instincts, right? Fight or flight. You guys remember when I was fired, I definitely went into fight mode. So much so that I probably hovered around 17 death threats in that morning. Uh, Topped off with one massive fucking burnout in the entryway to my health club and a local Kinko's. So definite animal instinct fight mode. Get in my feels. That's when you start feeling all sorry for yourself, like a complete puss bag. You come to the moment of manning up, where you own up. You have to find the reason to get up. Man up, get over feeling sorry for yourself. Own up, admit your faults, take blame for what you can, and then fucking move on, right? You realize this is where I'm at. I can't change it. I can't go back to it. What do I need to hold for accountability, for fault to it? And then I need to search for my reason why. And when I find my reason why, I can kick in the final step, the final part of the life cycle of loss, savage mode. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody loves a comeback. Savage mode is the sweet taste of revenge, the sweet victory, the go fuck yourself. Ah, I'm a fucking savage. I will pull off an alley rally. Anybody remember that one? A little plug to my wife. A Rocky-like comeback, and I will make something of me. That life cycle that I'm talking about, it happens at varying speeds for everyone, depending on the situation, the person, the personality, the stage in your life. It all plays a factor in how quickly, aggressively, and proficiently that you get through each step in that cycle. And I say it's a cycle because sometimes you might go from one step, but you're not ready to go to the next step. So you kind of cycle back a little bit. Animal instincts, I go from the freak out mode where I'm going to bite your face off. I'm going to go all Mike Tyson on you. Then I might roll into getting into my feels, feeling sorry for myself. I might even fall back to animal instincts and want to freak the fuck out again. You can actually start to man up, to own up, to take accountability, and still find yourself falling back to getting in my feels, to feeling sorry for yourself and the situation. You really can't go to the next step officially until you fully partake it in the step that you're at. You might ebb and flow a little bit there, but you definitely don't make it to savage mode until you find the reason, the reason to get back up. Everybody needs a why. Without a why, there ain't no buy. And it starts with you. If you don't have a reason to get up, you ain't gonna buy into getting up. You will continue to fall back and to lay back and feel sorry for yourself until you find your reason. 
When we last spoke about me getting fired from my dream job up to this point in my life, we went over the animal instincts freak out. And I think we touched on my brilliant decision immediately following freaking the fuck out. That brilliant decision was getting three of my closest friends going to a strip club and getting fucked up draining my bank account. That is how I responded. I spent the next couple of months literally staying in the get in my feels phase of the life cycle and just completely feeling fucking sorry for myself. And we talked before about me being Cousin Eddie. I was holding out for middle management the entire time. I needed a title. I was chasing a title replacement. I needed to uphold a status. It wasn't about how much money I was making or what I was doing, if it was bettering me, if it was a good decision for me, I was headed in the right direction, failing forward, building a life for myself. No, that wasn't important. It was about the reputation. I was more fucking concerned about being Don Corleone over here. Being big fucking Tony title tough guy. You know what I mean? Tony, he's a tough guy. All the kids about his title. You know what I mean? That guy. That was me. Cousin fucking Eddie. Holding out for middle management. I would not succumb to taking a step back. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't pick up a job and not have a title behind it. So I just continued to be all in my feels, to not bettering myself, not finding a reason, not owning up, not taking accountability. It got to the point, as I discussed before, guns and freedom. I had to sell all the guns I owned. I lost all the freedom that I had because I was just feeling bad for myself and searching that fucking title. Everybody loves a story, right? I love telling them. I love hearing them. So here's a story to show you just how much I cared about upholding my reputation and the fact that I was searching for a title. Shortly after getting fired and I'm coming to a realization that I really don't have any fucking money and I'm already starting to sell some of the things I own, a friend of mine from the health club reached out to me. He wasn't a co-worker. He was a member. We formed a friendship. He was a well-known dude in the area. He was a beast of a guy. Ripped up, jacked up, beast. And he was a good dude. When I would see him out in the clubs, would always have a conversation, maybe buy each other around, shoot the shit a little bit. But we never really went out like as a group together, but we would run into each other. I get fired from the club, a few weeks pass, or a month, I don't fucking know what the time frame is. He reaches out to me, wants to see how I'm doing, and we shoot the shit, and he says, Hey man, me and some of my buddies are going to be in Old Orchard Beach. Old Orchard Beach, for those of you that don't know, is a party area right on the beach. It actually has a pier that jets out over the ocean. It's a great, fun, little fucking party spot. And he was coming down for a weekend, him and some of his buddies all jammed into fucking one hotel room on the strip and he said hey man let's come out blow some steam off i miss seeing you at the club you know let's have a good time so i'm thinking this is cool i'm excited man somebody's actually reaching out to me remember i told you i basically had one or two people from the entire club that worked for me or worked with me that actually checked on me or kept a relationship that's it so for a member to reach out and say hey man i miss you and i feel bad let's catch up for a few That's awesome. Put on the fact that that member is a well-known beast of the area, just a good dude, and somebody that I guess 
at the time I looked up to or would have liked to have been welcomed into that circle. You know what I mean? He was one of the cool guys. So I go out, I meet him and his fellas, and we proceed to rip it up. If you recall, I described him as a beast. He was a mountain of a dude. And the fellas he brought with him were just like him. So he put me in this group with these fucking monsters. We were an attraction to see. In all honesty, I was the smallest motherfucker out of all of them. So much smaller, in fact, that at one club, a bunch of ladies started infiltrating the pack, trying to hit on all the fellas. And my buddy actually made up the story that they were a pack of traveling professional wrestlers. And I was the manager and the booking agent. I'll tell you this, people. I have commonly spent my life on the 285 weight area. Okay? In that range. Six three and a half, six four ish 285. In that range. Right now, I'm covidly plumper than 285. I must admit. Fucking plate of nachos didn't help any. Or... The fucking Wendy's Bacon Jalapeno also hasn't helped. But the moral of the story is, when you're fucking 6'4", 285, and you're the manager and the booking agent, that says something. That screams something about the people you're hanging out with. Anywho, these bitches bought it and all thought that we were a traveling group of fucking wrestlers and I was an agent and whatever. They picked up the tab in a couple of places One of the last bars we were at, throwing him back, which I can do at a very successful, high, aggressive rate, me being even one of the smaller in the crew, that means they can do just as much brew as I do. That tab was getting pretty fucking high. My buddy says, hey man, don't worry, enjoy yourself, drink, do whatever, I got you. It's on me. I feel bad about how things went. Well, fast forward to the end of the night. And he loses his wallet or forgets it in the hotel room or just forgets he has it. I don't know. But it's closing time and he can't pay. So we're standing there looking at each other and he doesn't have any money to pay. Me being so concerned with my status, with my reputation, being so concerned with being invited to the in crowd that I forget better judgment and concern myself more with reputation than responsibility. I focus more on fantasy land than reality. I overdraft my account to pay that bill. Let that sink in, people. I paid a fucking tab for one person I knew, a bunch of dudes I just met, that all, and I remind you, all drinking aggressively, with no responsibility about getting each other home when there is a hotel room down the fucking road and you're just getting after it. Vacation mode drinking. You know what I'm saying? Just slugging him back. I don't recall the uh, level of tab, but I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I know it was over 300 bucks. I ate it. I paid the tab. And he says, hey man, I got you. Come back to the room. You can stay with us. And, uh, you know, I'll get you some money in the morning. I have this older broad talking to me about what life is like on the road booking wrestlers. And all I'm concerned about is I need a fucking piece of pizza and some french fries. So that was what was on my mind was pizza and fries. Her friend 
and my buddy, I'm going to call him Billy Badass for the sake of the conversation. I should have used that name earlier. Whatever happened to me giving people names. So Billy Badass and her friend head off to uh, the beach to play Ouch Ouch You're On My Hair and the sand shouldn't go there. Not me. I am more concerned about pizza and french fries. And in my drunkenness, I am also realizing you fucked up. You overdrew yourself, man. Why did you go ahead and say yes to that fucking tab? You need to get some fucking money. I find a way to eat. I don't remember how. And then I walk back to my truck. I am in no condition to drive. I'm actually in a condition that's having a difficult time walking. But I'm so disappointed in myself and my decisions that I'm heading to my truck with my pizza. I don't know if I'm going to sit there and eat or if I'm going to fucking cry myself to sleep in the bed of the truck or I'm going to fucking drive home. I don't know at this point, but I'm walking towards my truck. And when I get to my truck, what do I see? A parking ticket. Yep, a parking ticket. I needed that. I just overdrew my bank account paying a tab. Now I have a parking ticket. After sitting there having a freak out, I realized I probably can't drive home and I need to find the hotel that they were talking about. At this point, where my vehicle is parked is on one side of the railroad tracks and the hotel is on the other. In my drunkenness, I begin the trek towards the hotel room. My drunken brain cells are having a hard time firing correctly and processing just where the fuck I am and how I'm going to get to this hotel. Because I cross the tracks and there's a big giant fence. There's no way for me to climb this picket fence. I can barely walk straight. There's no way I'm getting up over this fence. And there's nothing to grip me toes in. I'm thinking, what the fuck do I do? Not realizing I could probably just keep walking straight until the road opens and then just fucking turn in. No, I didn't make that thought process, apparently. Instead, I start walking and stumble upon a little convenience store with an employee or the shop owner or somebody in the back watching TV. I can see the door blown open. I can see the lights in there. He's watching a little tiny box TV. Just a couple feet away from him, there's a ladder. And that ladder is just leaning ever so gently on the side of his building. And he's just watching TV and completely tuned in to late night TV battling consciousness or so that's how i remember i james bond my way over towards the back of the store now i don't know how i didn't kick fucking cans over and fall on my face or make some big loud fucking scene i tom cruise my way over there james bond the fucking ladder and i'm mission impossible that some bitch and just start walking away walking away with a folding ladder Probably six or eight foot. Either a six footer or an eight footer. I throw it over my shoulder and start walking. Never mind you. I was having a hard time walking on my own. Carrying my own weight. Placing one foot in front of the other and not falling on my face. So the fact that I'm carrying a ladder doesn't make any sense. What also doesn't make sense is that I am walking down the side of the road with a ladder on my shoulder. And the local Old Orchard Beach police drive by me. Yeah. The cop drives by, a six-foot fucking four dude with a ladder on his shoulder, visibly intoxicated, walking down the side of the road at like one, two in the morning. You don't think that's suspicious? 
Okay. I've been questioned, approached, and pulled over for much less suspiciousness. Must have been my lucky night. I walked on the side of the road with that ladder, crossed the railroad tracks, throw it up against the fence, and climb up and over. Managed to find the hotel, but I don't manage to find Billy Badass or any of his friends. I find the hotel, I find the cars, but I don't know what room they're in. Without knocking on doors, rattling doorknobs, I can't find them. With no place to sleep, no ability to drive, no money to call a cab, I decide to just walk around the town, sitting on park benches, talking to other drunks and homeless people until the sun just about comes up and I can sober up to drive home. I come to the realization that I can't find Billy Badass and unless I want to lay around here till noontime for him to sober up and show his face, I'm out one massive bar tab and a parking ticket. I swallow my pride and my bad decision and I go home. That, people, is just one example of me being a complete pussbag, all in my feels, deciding not to do what's right, instead doing what feels right, and denying reality of the situation, and just focusing on the infatuation with a reputation. I made that mistake, and several mistakes like it, too many times in my life that I would care to admit more times than I can even remember. I was wired that way for so long, I am only now realizing that and getting over that. Eventually, I begin the process of manning up, of owning up to the mistakes I made, taking accountability for the choices that I've made, owning up, accepting who I am and where I am in my life, giving up on the desire for a title, and realizing you just need to do something. It was in that moment of realizing that I didn't want to be a failure, that I knew I was destined for more, that I had a God-given ability, but realizing I couldn't just wake up to a title or an opportunity, I had to make an opportunity and earn a title. At that moment, I did some soul-searching, much like I did when I failed to attend college, when my dad fired me, and I was looking to find my way. I got back to my roots. I focused on what I knew I was good at. The God-given ability to sell anything to anyone. I knew I needed to get back to sales. I also knew if I couldn't find a title, if I couldn't be a quote-unquote manager, if I needed to start at the basement floor and work my way up for more, I needed to combine my sales ability with a passion. Passion is what got me the opportunity at the health club in the first place. If you remember, I was working at a shoe store. I was happy. I was selling products that I enjoyed, but my passion was motocross. I was infatuated with dirt bikes, with power, with speed, with adrenaline. That passion brought me to the motocross track. Me being at the motocross track opened up the door, opened up the opportunity. I met someone that gave me an opportunity to work at that health club. My friend Dave Lambert brought me to all of those races. He taught me how to ride a dirt bike, and he got me infatuated with dirt bikes. That same person. Big Dave Lambert called me and said, I found something for you to do. I found a job for you. 
There is a local power sports store, a store that I've been into many a times, that sells, wait for it, dirt bikes and four-wheelers, motorcycles, like cruisers, street bikes, snowmobiles, watercrafts, generators, all kinds of things we would classify as awesomeness. They sell awesome, and you should do it. You've always been good at sales. You love dirt bikes. And I know all the guys over there. David bought a ton of stuff there. And he said, I made a phone call for you. You need to go over there and fill out an application. Dave led me in the right direction before. And my relationship with him and the fact that I looked at him like a second dad, I felt an obligation to fill out the application, to go there and to put things on the line. What I did next was combine my roots and my ability, my God-given sales ability and my passion my passion for motocross, I put those two together and I rebuilt and reestablished my future. I took a job selling fun, selling awesomeness, selling adrenaline, testosterone, and whatever else you can think of putting in there that is epic and cool, whatever. I started selling fun. And when you can take passion and ability and put it together, there ain't no one that can stop that train. And that is where I will pick up the episode next week. Because we've reached the end of the episode. we reached the end of the Santa Struggle Podcast. Too much caffeine. I apologize. That is the end of this week's show. What I'm going to leave you with is a challenge. That challenge is the implementation of a little thing called PPR. Perspective Patience, realistic. When you find yourself feeling angry, when you find yourself getting ready to lash out, you find yourself in a situation, you've been dealt something you didn't see coming, whatever it is, when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling down, put it all in perspective. Be patient and be realistic. And then tell this honky-tonk motherfucker how it worked. Again, I thank all y'all for your continued support. Please, please, please share this podcast with your friends, with your family, with your family's friends. Leave me a positive review. Give me a share. Hit subscribe. It would mean the world. Again, thank you for supporting my American dream. Now go wash your fucking hands, you filthy savage. That's it and that's all, Biggie Smalls. If you're a loud, proud American and you find yourself just wanting more, find me on YouTube and Facebook at Loud Proud American or the Face Page, as my mama calls it. If you're a fan of the Graham Cracker, you want to find me on Instagram or all the kids by Tickety Talking on the TikTok, you can find me on both of those at Loud underscore Proud underscore American. Big old thank you to the boys from the Gut Truckers for the background beats and the theme song for this year's podcast. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, 
track down the Gut Truckers on Facebook. Just search Gut Truckers. Give them motherfuckers a like too. Thank you for supporting my American dream. Now go wash your fucking hands, you filthy savage.